this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Thank you, choir. How beautiful. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and to worship you today. Lord, we, we've been going about a busy week, and now it's time to come together. It's time to be reoriented, to be refreshed, to be reminded of who you are, your purposes in our lives, to be instructed by your word, to be renewed and so, Father, now we pray that you would help us to, to focus on you. We thank you for the way that you've already used the, the music to prepare our hearts. And we've been able to celebrate Christian baptism together, which is such a beautiful portrait of, of what, it's, what our faith is all about, the new life that you bring. And, Father, now we pray that you would take your word and instruct us on the living out of that new life. You know where each of us is today, the different challenges that we face in our lives. And as we talk about the Holy Spirit today, we're aware that your Spirit is able to, to intersect with each of our lives, to meet each one of us right at the point of our deepest need. And so, Lord, we pray that you would do that, do that now through the teaching of your Word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1 today. If you're new today, we have been going through Paul's letter to the Colossians. And today we're going to finish the first chapter of Colossians. And we're talking about a gift that empowers, that's the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about a goal that energizes. Paul here gives us really what the goal of the church, what, what, what the win is that, we're, that we seek after as a church family. We're going to see both of those things in this text. So Colossians chapter 1, and let's look this morning at verses 26 through 29. He begins by talking about a mystery. He mentions the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And so, something that was disclosed uh, for, for many years, something that was hidden, has now been disclosed. This is something that people in Old Testament times were not privy to, but now God has pulled back the veil and he's revealed this mystery. To who? To us. To his saints. To them. To us. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, that he powerfully works within me. Mariano Rivera of the New York Yankees is one of the greatest pitchers in baseball, the greatest relief pitcher in the history of, of baseball. And what's really unique about 
Mariano is that he's accomplished all of this with basically one pitch. It's called a, a cutter. So a cut fastball that, that moves and darts and shatters bats and, and, and is just about impossible to hit. What's really fascinating is that when Rivera broke into the major leagues, he did not have this pitch. His third year as a big leaguer, he was playing catch one day with one of his teammates before a game. And inexplicably, his ball began to, to move in unusual ways when he threw it. He wasn't trying to do anything different than what he usually did. But the ball was, was moving in a way that it never had before. At first, he was so puzzled that he tried to stop doing it so he could throw the ball straight. But, but he really couldn't stop it. And what happened was that it made the ball almost impossible to hit and turned him into one of the greatest players of all time. Rivera is a very, very strong Christian, a, a godly man, and he attributes this to just the sheer gift of God. In fact, Tom Berducci, a senior writer for Sports Illustrated, did a feature article on Rivera a couple of years ago, and he entitled his article, The Gift. The Gift. Jesus tells us uh, about, a, about a gift in Acts 1-4, uh, just before he, he ascended into heaven, Jesus said to his disciples, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. That gift was the Holy Spirit. And that's what Paul was talking about in this text. First of all, he tells us about the revelation of a mystery. So let's look again at verses 26 and 27. Twice he refers to this mystery. He says, The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What was this mystery that has now been revealed? Well, it was not just the coming of the Spirit, because the Old Testament prophesied about that. It was that the Spirit was poured out on both Jews and Gentiles, on anyone who turned to Jesus and trusted in His finished work. It didn't matter what background they came from, all of them received the Holy Spirit. This is the mystery that had been revealed, that these two groups of people that had been at such animosity towards one another for, 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 uh, for centuries were now being drawn together by the Spirit. You just have to understand how radical this was because of the, the animosity that existed between these people before. Bishop John Green worked with boys in Sydney for many years, and he worked with some boys of English descent who were white and some boys of Aboriginal descent uh, who were black. And, and one day these boys were just not getting a, a, along, and these two groups were, were just at, at odds with one another, and, and they couldn't even ride peaceably together on, on, a, on a bus. And so they were getting into fights and so forth. Finally, the bishop stopped the bus, pulled over to the side, and ordered every single boy uh, outside and he lined them up one by one, black, white, black, white, lined them all up. And he said, boys, from now on, you're not black and white, you're all green. 
and he went down the row. He made every boy say, I, I'm, I'm green, I'm green, I'm green. And he got them all back on the bus, and down the road they went. They, the bus went along peaceably for a few minutes, and then a voice called out from the back of the bus, okay, light green on one side, dark green on the other. Well, you know, this is the kind of thing that existed between Jews and Gentiles, minus the humor. And it went far deeper than, than, than even race. But now, in the New Testament church, something radical was happening. These people were drawn together. Now, Paul really fleshes this out in the second chapter of Ephesians. And he says there, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Now, now notice there at, at the end, what is it that pulls these two people together, that tears down the wall of hostility? It's the presence of the Spirit. That they both, Jews and Gentiles, both have access in one Spirit to the Father. It's a shared experience that pulls them together. In the TV series, Band of Brothers... There's a group of, of men in World War II in Easy Company uh, who go through training together in uh, Georgia. And then they all get on the ships and go across the Atlantic and they train and they get ready for D-Day. They go through D-Day together and the aftermath of that. They go through the Battle of the Bulge together all the way through to victory in Europe. And, and the men in Easy Company have totally diverse backgrounds. Some are from the north, some are from the south, some are from gritty South Philadelphia, some are from sunny Southern California, some are farm boys, some are, some are city boys. They, they have all of, the, all of these diverse backgrounds, but yet they, they become family to one another. And it was, it was because of that shared experience of what they had been through together. That made them a band of brothers. What makes us brothers and sisters in Christ is the shared experience of the Holy Spirit of God, which has been given to, to every believer. That's what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. He says, For in one Spirit we all, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Notice again, it's the spirit that uh, unites us as brothers and sisters in, in Christ. People with different backgrounds, uh, people with different uh, gifts and experiences, personalities, uh, but, but yet we're bound together by this shared experience that, that the Spirit of God has, has drawn us to Christ and we have this this overarching experience that has united us together that we all share in. And notice here how Paul refers to the Holy Spirit at the end of verse 27. He says that the Spirit is, is Christ in you. Just imagine, the risen Christ. Uh, not simply with us, or beside us, or above us, or below us, but, but in us. 
in us, Christ in you. And then he says that the Spirit is the, is the hope of glory. What does he mean by that? That the Holy Spirit is the, the hope of glory. Well, the presence of the Spirit in our lives, it's like, it's like a, a guarantee in the present of the glory that we're going to experience in the future. Now again, Paul fleshes this out in Ephesians. So let's look at Ephesians 1 and verses 13 and 14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Now, the Greek word for guarantee here, it it literally means down payment. Okay, so just like a down payment on a house is the, 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 the first installment of the purchase price, the presence of the Spirit in our lives is a guarantee. It's, it's, a, it's a down payment. It's a, it's a foretaste of the glory that is going to be ours one day in heaven. That's why he, the Holy Spirit is the hope of glory. And so, Paul tells us here about the revelation of a mystery. Second, he tells us about the presentation of a mature church. Let's look at verses 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. Now, let's look at verse 28 again. And do you see the the purpose clause that is at the end of verse 28? He says, we're doing this that we may present everyone mature in Christ. This was the goal of ministry for Paul. This is to be the goal of, of any church's ministry. That people be mature in Christ. This is the win that we seek to present to Jesus one day a people who are mature in Christ. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, you know, we're, just not, we're not just going after uh, numbers. We're not interested in, in, a, in a church that's a, a mile wide but an inch deep. The win in ministry is for people who are mature in Christ, who are growing Christians, people who are growing in holiness, people who are growing in the fruit of the Spirit, increasingly bearing the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. People of, of prayer... People uh, who are, are hungry for God's Word, growing in God's Word. People who are, are sharing their faith with others. People who are stewarding the, the time and the talents and the treasure that God has given to them. Who are, are not just consumers of ministry, but contributors to the ministry. All of these things 
characterize what Christian maturity looks like. And this is the win. This is the goal that we seek. And, and notice here in verse 28 that Paul says that this goal is that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul is looking forward to the return of Christ. And, and when that day happens and, and, and the saints are raised, then what he's looking forward to is to be able to, to present to his Savior as a gift of people who are mature in Christ. So this is the goal. This is the, this is the win that we seek in ministry. So how does that happen? How do we mature in Christ? How do we, how do we grow like that? Well, let's look at verse 28 again. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. This is how maturity happens. It happens, first of all, through proclaiming Christ. So as the gospel is proclaimed, the Spirit draws people to, uh, to, to the Lord uh, through the proclamation of the gospel. But then what do we do? What, 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 do we seek, what do we do then in the lives of people to help them grow to maturity? He uses two other words. Warning, which also means you could also translate that as admonish. The, the meaning of the, of, of the Greek word is to, to set in order something that is out of order, to correct something that is wrong. And so because of our sinful nature that we all have, because of the, the fallen world that we're all living in, there's a lot that we have to unlearn, right? There's a lot in our lives that needs to be corrected and continually um, corrected and sort of reordered. We all, we all just are constantly in, in need of that. And so that's, that's what uh, this word warning is all about. Admonishing is all about. It helps us set in order what's out of order to correct what is wrong. And then the word teaching here, instructing, is uh, that's, that's positive, positive instruction in the word of God. So the warning, the admonishment helps us steer clear of what is wrong. The, the teaching is what instructs us in what is right. And where do we get both of those things? The Word of God. The Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And this is why it is so important that we be a church that is into the teaching of the Word of God. It's why I preach expositorily. It's why we, we actually take a passage of Scripture every Sunday, and what do we do? We dig into it, right? Phrase by phrase, we dig into the Word so that we're seeing what, what God says. Not getting just the opinions of a person. We get to hear what God is actually saying through His Word, that's so important. Um, but it's also important that we instruct one another. God does give uh, pastors to the church. Ephesians 4 tells us that He gives uh, pastors and, and, and shepherds to the church as a gift to the church, Ephesians 4, and that's part of a healthy church. 
But also, there's a body life in a healthy church where the congregation, where people are helping one another. People are teaching and admonishing one another in the body of Christ. Let's look at um, Colossians 3 and verse 16. Look at what he says here. He says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. So, the words teaching and admonishing in 3.16 in Greek are the exact same two words that he uses in 128. Same words. Okay? Teaching, same word, and then it translates it as um, ad- warning, as admonishing in 3.16. It's the same, it's the same Greek word. But notice in 3.16, who, who is to do this? He says, we're to be teaching and admonishing what? One another. One another. He says in 128 that as a, as a, 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 a pastor, you know, that that's what he's seeking to do is, 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 is you know, warning and teaching. And so, yes, pastors do that, but... What else? In 3.16, he's saying that we do this for one another in a healthy church. Now, this is why it's so important in a church that we have small groups, that we have uh, Sunday school classes, so that you've got uh, people in in a smaller group context who can do this for one another. We... We, help, we sit around with open Bibles and we, we help one another. We help one another see, understand the Word of God and apply the Word of God. It's why it's so important that we not only be involved in a small group, a Sunday school class, but that those small groups, those classes, uh, get together outside of, of uh, uh, our gathering on Sunday that we gather in homes together, that we, uh, we, we have times when we're, we can just be really relaxed and take time to do life together and really get to know one another, life on life, because it's in, that, it's in those relationships where we, these conversations take place and we can, we can help one another. We can sometimes warn one another. And, and help correct one another and, and instruct one another. And we get to see um, other believers uh, doing life in front of us. And this is, this is a healthy church where you've got that kind of body life that, that's going on. So you've got, you've got the, the teaching of the Word of God happening in larger settings like this, but then you've also got the body of Christ, people helping one another. Uh, admonishing and and uh, and teaching one another in small groups and and throughout all of life. Now notice how hard notice how hard Paul uh, strives towards this goal of a mature church in in verse 29. What's he say here? He says, "For this I toil." And the word toil here means to labor to the point of exhaustion. And then struggling, struggling. In Greek, it's agonizomai. It's where we get the English word agonize. 
And in, the, in first century Greek, it was used in an athletic contest. It was a word that was used in, in sports. And, and the image is of an athlete who is straining, agonizing toward the goal and just leaving all of his strength on the field. Not withholding anything, but, but leaving it all on the field. Uh, giving, giving his all. But notice here that as he toils and struggles, that it's not in his own strength. Because what does he say? For this I toil, struggling with what? With all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Someone asked the great preacher Charles Spurgeon, how do you do the work of two men? Spurgeon replied, well, you see, there are two of us. <laughs> I think he was talking about this verse, that it's, yes, we labor, yes, we, we toil and, and struggle, and we, we give our all, but we do that in dependence upon God, constantly going back to the well and drawing from the source of our strength so that, that we don't burn out. Uh, constantly depending upon God in prayer um, as we seek to make an impact in the lives of others. You know, Jesus says in John chapter 15 and verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We get our strength from abiding in Christ, staying connected like a branch to the vine so that it's His power and the Holy Spirit flowing in us and through us that can bear fruit in the lives of others. Because apart from Him, we can do what? Nothing. But in Him, through Him, what does Philippians 4.13 tell us? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's His power. It's when, we, it's when we link our lives and abide in the source of our strength. That's when God takes ordinary people and begins to do extraordinary things through them. Ken Hughes tells about a woman who was converted in, in sub-Saharan Africa and she was about 70 years old when she became a Christian and was completely blind. But she, God had saved her and she just had such love for Christ, such gratitude in her heart for what Jesus had done for her. She, she wanted to do uh, something for Him. And so she got a missionary to, uh, to underline uh, she couldn't see to read it, but she got a missionary to take a red, a red uh, marker and, uh, and underline John 3.16 in a French Bible. And so uh, then she would, every day, she would go to a, a boys' school uh, where she knew they were learning French, and she would position herself outside of the, the door. And every day when the boys let out of school, uh, she would call one or two of them over and she would say, do you know French? 
Well, the boys were all learning French, so they were very proud to say, yes, I can, I can read in French. So she would call one or two of them over, and, um, and she would say, can you, she would point to John 3.16 and say, can you read this to me? And so she'd get the boy to, to read John 3.16, and then she'd say, do you know what it means? And she would explain it, and she led scores of boys to Christ, 24 ended up becoming pastors through this humble Christian's ministry. In her weakness, she just linked her life to the source of her strength and allowed the Holy Spirit to work through her. That's our calling and our opportunity as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which empowers. Father, we thank you that we have a very clear goal, which energizes us in ministry to see a people more and more become mature in Christ. So, Father, we pray that for all of our lives, that you would continue to grow us, to mature us, as believers. That, Father, through the, the proclamation of the gospel, that you would be continually drawing people to yourself, and then that uh, we would be a, in a church of the word where people receive the instruction in settings like this and in small groups and one-on-one and life-to-life so that we've, we've, got, um, we've got a one-another ministry of the word that is happening in our church. Father, we thank you for the fact that we don't have to do life alone anymore. That we have one another and that we have you living and dwelling in us. The power and presence of the Spirit of God. We just continue to to pause for a few moments. Maybe you're here today and you've been trying to do life alone. It's not meant to be lived that way. You and I were created to be in fellowship with our Creator, to be in relationship with Him. Now, how does that happen? It happens when we turn to Jesus and we trust in what He's done for us. We stop trying to do life on our own and in our own way. And we, we turn to Jesus. That's called repentance. We turn to Him and we trust in Him. We rest in His finished work for us. The Bible says we're all sinners. And our sin separates us from God. But the cross of Christ bridges the chasm between sinners like us and a holy God who hates sin. It's because Jesus on the cross took our sins upon Himself, paid the penalty we should have paid, paid it in full so that all who trust in Him can be forgiven of their sins and have eternal life. That gift, that opportunity is available to you. 
turn to Jesus right now. Call out to Him. Trust Him today. In just a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. Jesus tells us that when we trust Him, that we're to confess Him openly, that we're to acknowledge Him before other people. In just a moment, as others stand and sing, I want to give you the opportunity to do just that very thing. As others stand, you can just slip out. They'll gladly make way for you. I'm going to be right here at the front. Just share with me what God has done in your life, giving your life to Him. Maybe you're here today and God's speaking to you about the issue of church membership. It's very clear, isn't it, from God's Word that we're we're meant to be a part of a body of believers. And if God's speaking to you about being a part of this body, we want to invite you to, to step out and to come today. We want to welcome you. If you've got another need in your life, a need for prayer, you can come for that today. So, Father, we give you this time of invitation. We ask that you would work in each life for the glory of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. Amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father, and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.